You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, amen, amen. We're in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, and thank you. Thank you, Reggie, for reading that for us. The very first word in the NIV in the New International Version, version is the word slave. And, and I want to take just a moment and, and speak to this word because this word in a lot of ways in the context of America is, is somewhat of a divisive word. And I think that we need to spend a moment on it before we move into what Paul was trying to say in, within this uh, Roman Empire, within this environment of New Testament times. Years ago, there was a, there was a book written, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Cabin. It was written by Harriet uh, Beecher Stowe. When she wrote that book, it, was, it turned out to be a bestseller. And in all honesty, President Lincoln sent her a, a, a letter, or he told her personally, he said, thank you for this book. It has awakened this nation to, a, to this issue of slavery. And when we see that word, even in the NIV here, it's, it's somewhat of a divisive word. The Greek word there is doulos. It could be interpreted slave or it could be interpreted servant. But because of the Roman Empire and because of the environment that Paul was writing this letter, about half of every, about half of the population of the Roman Empire were servants or were slaves. And this word, this word doulos. I want to say, though, that, that I understand this is, this is a, a divisive word, and slavery continues to be a blight not only on this nation and not only on Europe, but even in, in, especially in West and North Africa. In the history, in our history as well as, as European history, as well as even within African history, and, and th- this idea of slavery is something that a lot of people will say, even our day, well, this is, this is not my fault. I didn't have anything to do with it. But I want you to understand that corporately as a nation, we have to work through the healing process of one of the greatest tragedies in the history of America. And it's not just our tragedy. It is a tragedy of Europe. It is a tragedy of Africa. And a lot of times people say, well, you know, it's not my fault. I didn't have anything to do with it. But you're part of America, and as an American citizen, you have a responsibility to demonstrate a repentant spirit. And I think that is what is important. I think there also needs to be demonstrated a forgiving spirit. And then finally, we need to do everything that we can to end slavery. And I want to remind you that slavery is still an issue in the world today. Human trafficking is still taking place. Are you aware of that? If you are, say amen. And and so this is an issue or something that we need to be concerned about. We need to continue to pray about because this is still being done in parts of the world today. America has learned the high cost of this. And I think because of that, we need to lead out in, in taking a stand against it. In fact, let me ask you something. Are there, is there a cause in your life? Is there something right now that you're kind of committed to, that, that you're devoted to? 
You know, I read of a man that visited Africa. He saw the plight of malaria and the effect that it was having on the population within many of the countries in Africa. And, and he came home and he began to raise the funds and raise the resources to provide mosquito nets. A simple thing such as netting to put over a bed at night might save people's lives and save them from malaria. I read of a young lady who came out of college and started a loan business to third world countries and men and women in third world countries who could get a simple loan from $500, $1,000 from people like you and I with simple interest, not high interest, and make those funds available for a woman in Kenya to be able to have a fruit stand in order to provide for her family. Is there a cause or is there something that your life is devoted to? Tom's shoes. A young man became concerned over the fact of children in other parts of the world not having shoes. And <clears throat> when you buy a pair of Tom's shoes, another pair goes to a child in a third world country. Uh, elderly. I, I, I heard the other day of a story of a man who took an old van and he fixed it up and he goes into the inner city and he goes to the elderly and he does small repairs on their home. He just stops in. <clears throat> he looks at an elderly man or woman and he says, is there things that, that I can do to help? Is there a cause? Is there something that you're concerned about? Our food pantry, beginning in October to through February, will begin to feel a lot of a lot of people coming and needing food. Our holiday meals at Thanksgiving and in Christmas, uh, we'll need to get clothing organized, toiletry items, because we'll we'll have uh, we may have a hundred homeless who will come from all over the city to be ministered to. Is there a cause? or something that moves your heart. We're involved in Zimbabwe, in ministry there. We're preparing a trip this next May. Uh, one of our pastors there, a man by the name of Midian Chitsede, he needs $6,000 to build him a house for he to live in there on that facility there where the church is. Right now he lives in a, in a, in a room rented, he and his entire family, in the back of somebody else's home. Is there something that you're concerned about that kind of causes your blood to boil a little bit? You know, we talk about slavery in other parts of the world, and we talk about some of the crimes and problems in other parts of the world, but what are you and I doing to make a difference? And I think that's important. You may say, well, my cause is the gospel. Well, let me ask you this. If your cause is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then are you telling other people? Are you taking the gospel? Have you bought a pack of tracks or something? Are you sharing it with the people around you, in the workplace, with your neighbors? You, you see, is there something that you live for, something that kind of stirs your heart and calls you to come alive? That's a critical question. Now, today we're looking at the Apostle Paul. And Paul here is talking to slaves. He's talking to those men and women who are servants. And for half of the entire Roman Empire, they would have had to sat up and listen because they would have said, he's talking to me. Now, Paul has been, in, in Ephesians 5.21, he said, submitting, hupatasso, that Greek word, falling into rank, knowing our place. Paul said, serving one another. 
Paul said, then he turns to the wife and he said, wives, submit, hupatasso. Submit to your husbands. He says, husbands, love, agape, that sacrificial love, love your hus- uh, 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 husbands, love your wives. Then he says to children, children, obey your parents and honor your parents. Now he turns to nearly every person in this room because he's talking here about employer-employee relationships. And that's how I want you to see this passage of Scripture today. So Paul's dealt with every arena, every role, or every position in society. These are radical words in Ephesians. He is shaking, he is shaking the entire Roman Empire. He is saying to a wife, he's saying, submit Come under the leadership of your husband. He's saying to a man, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And and he's saying to children, obey your parents. But in some ways, these were radical words for the environment in which they're coming. Now he turns to these people that are employed and he's saying to them, I want you to know how to act as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, because again, in Paul's days, half the empire were servants. They were slaves. And often they were abused. Now let me say something here, and you may not be aware of this. The Bible speaks against marketing and trading human beings. Did you know that? Are you aware of that? Say amen. Not very many. You see, in Exodus 21, verse 16, if you market it or you trafficked human beings, do you look this way? Do you know what it cost? It carried the death sentence. So the Bible in no way believed or taught in any way this idea of marketing or trafficking human beings. In fact, the Bible said if anyone was caught doing that, they were to be put to death, Exodus 21, 16. It also said that if you injured your slave, your servant, your doulos, they were then released and free from that servitude. They were released and free to go. That was Levitical law. So the Roman system was already being radically shifted and changed by the principles of Scripture. Aristotle said this in in these days during the Roman Empire. He said a slave was seen as a tool, a working implement, a piece of property to be used and to be handled as one saw fit. But that was not what Paul is teaching here. In fact, in the Roman times, listen to this, there were so many conquered people so many people brought into this position of being a a doulos, a slave, a servant, that Roman citizens, listen to this, they didn't work. They had so much labor available to them that they just simply, basically, passed it all off into that slave-servant system of the Roman Empire so that they would have time to carry on their orgies and to live an ungodly and moral life. All they did, Roman citizens, for the most part, all they did, Reggie, was that they just drank and slept around and had a high old time. So Paul is coming into this system, and he's speaking here to the servant, and he's speaking to the master, but he's also speaking to you and I. Because you see, in some ways, you and I are like a servant. 
Now, first of all, we're a servant of Jesus Christ, but as an employee, in some ways, we have a responsibility as a follower of Christ when we are employed to do a job. And that's what I'm speaking to, and that's what Paul is saying. In verse 5, look again. Paul says, slaves, doulas, servants, employees, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey who? Christ. You see, what Paul says, first of all, Paul will speak to two things. He's speaking to you and I as employees. And Paul says this, you and I are in the job market. We're employees. And Paul says to employees, he says, first of all, let me talk about the action, and then I want to talk about the attitude. It's kind of like when Paul looks at children, and he says, children, he says, listen, obey your parents. And then he tells them to obey them with respect and to honor them. You see, somebody can obey and yet not do it in the best, best way possible, right? So what Paul says here is Paul's talking about obedience. And like a parent... An employer has a responsibility to determine what must be done and even how it is to be done. Have you ever told a child to do something and their next word was what? Why? Why? You say, I want you to go in there and I want you to do this. Why? You know, that's not an appropriate answer for a child to give you, right? The answer is what? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. You see, but a child sometimes will respond with that kind of answer. And sometimes that same spirit can be in the life of you and I when we are employed and called to do a job. You see, how you do your job in the workplace, out there in the market, not only reflects who you are and your character, but it is your testimony. It's your testimony. It's my, it's my testimony. The responsibility of an employee is to listen and to obey the directive of the employer. You see, think about this for a minute. Your ability to submit to hupatasso, to know your place within the working world, and to submit in the working world or in the workplace to authority is reflective of your relationship with Christ. Parents, we need to model submission in every venue. If a parent is constantly, if dad's griping about his boss, he's complaining about his boss, he's talking about how bad things are at work, and then he also complains about his pastor, he doesn't like the way things are done at church, and he complains here and he complains there, and he rebels against authority. Listen, he's modeling an attribute that will be carried on by children. Children need to be modeled even within our jobs. And I like this idea of taking your kids to work. I think that's a great thing. I think once a year, companies ought to allow men and women to bring their children into the work environment and show them what they do. This is a great tool. So Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, to you and I who are out here, employees in the world, he's saying, listen, Obey those people that are in positions of authority. Our answer cannot be, why? You know, children need to see that, right? Some parents protect their children from authority. You know what I mean. 
They usurp the authority. We've got a teacher sitting here. You know what I'm talking about. Teacher sends a, sends a slip home or a teacher is dealing with a child that's disobedient, defiant, causing problems in the classroom. And a lot of times that teacher may go ahead and get ready because instead of the parent calling them and saying, look, what can I do to bring Junior in line? Instead, they called the teacher and blessed the teacher out, cuss them out, come up there, throw something at them, get mad and throw a fit when Junior may really be lying to mom and dad, it may be a problem in the classroom. You see, sometimes our tendency is to defend our children, to usurp the authority of a teacher or someone in their life, and thereby we do our children an injustice. Listen, parent, your first response is to take the side of the teacher. Now, are all teachers good? Absolutely not. You may investigate and find that the teacher is really at fault. But even then, how you handle that teacher and their authority and the respect you have for that will be modeled before your children. So what Paul is saying to you and I, Paul is saying, listen, obey your employer. In other words, our question is not why. We are to submit and know our place in the working world. Secondly, Paul talks about an attitude. If you look at what Paul goes on to say here, he says, obey your earthly masters with what? With respect and fear. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, trembling fear like the lion in Wizard of Oz, where you approach your bosses with you know fear and trembling and you're just shaking all over, but what it means is respect and reverence. Now you may be here and you say, well, you don't know the man I work for. You don't know the person I work for. You don't know the company that I work for. You don't know the quality of the people that I'm working for. Well, remember, Paul's talking to slaves here who were employed by a bunch of drunken Roman citizens. And yet Paul is saying to these people, listen, obey those that have positions of authority over you with respect and fear. I wrote these down because some people say, you don't know my boss. Let me, let me give you some things to think about. Your boss or your employer has a level of accountability that you don't have. Do you, did you understand that? Anyone in this room that is in management who is responsible for people under them, understands what I just said. Number one, your boss has a level of accountability that you do not have. They have to answer to their superiors. And you can make their job easier, you can make it very difficult. In other words, think of it this way. When you finish your job, you may be able to go check out, and go home and not give it another thought. Another thought. But if you're in a position of management and you're dealing with people and you have a lot of responsibility and somebody may say, well, he gets paid good or she gets paid good to do that. That's right, but they may carry that job home. They may be working late into the night. Even teachers sometimes are doing this. You see, sometimes with authority takes great responsibility and great accountability. So number one, your boss may have a level of accountability that you don't have and probably does. Number two, your boss is managing people or an entire operation and not a single task. Number three, your boss may have problems that you're not aware of. Listen, some of us in the working world need to reevaluate our attitude toward the person to whom we're answering to. 
We see the boss as the bad guy. My friend, you may be here today and you may say, my boss, my superior is ungodly, immoral, unethical. No, your boss is lost. And that's your mission field. God has strategically placed you in that company, in that organization, to reach your boss for Christ. You may say, well, they say they're Christian, but they sure don't act like it. Well, then you show them how Christian acts. Amen? You see, it makes all the difference in the world. So your boss may have problems that you're not aware of. And you may be able to minister to that person by being the kind of employee that you ought to be. Number four, your boss may be lost, and again, you need to pray for him, you need to witness to him. You may be the only Bible they ever read. But here's what Paul's saying again. Paul is telling you and I, hupatasso, in other words, if I'm an employee in a company and I have a boss, I have superiors, I have those authorities that I'm answering to, then I need to hupatasso, I need to know my place and I need to be willing to accept that and submit to that leader. That's what Paul's saying here. And for some of these people who were followers of Christ, they were doulos, they were servants, they were slaves in a wicked, ungodly, immoral, unethical Roman system. Paul was saying to them, you be a witness and a testimony in that environment. Some people in this room may think, yeah, but again, you don't know my boss. My boss abuses authority. My boss is cruel. They're harsh. They're unreasonable in their expectations. Everyone looked this way. When Sheila and I were in seminary, I was down there working on my master's degree years ago, 1980. In 1980, for a lot of you maybe were even born, 1980, we were living in New Orleans. We had Amy, the one that just gave, gave us a new granddaughter today. She was a little bitty baby, and we went down there for me to go to school. I was working at Napa Warehouse, Napa, the auto parts place. We were poor as dirt. We had nothing. I remember Sheila and I, one Saturday with Amy, just a baby, we wanted an ice cream and we couldn't buy it. And I remember me and her crying. We had nothing. We were poor as dirt. The next week, I'd only been working at Napa for about five weeks. We drove by a truck line named Cy Freightline. Cy Freight. And a guy looked at me and he said, they pay, it was an unbelievable, it was nearly $10 an hour in 1980. They were paying more than twice what I was making. That next day, I went in my own vehicle, I pulled up there, I walked into their personnel manager, and I said, uh, I'd found out the name of the man, and I told the girl at the desk, I said, Ron Gigenheimer was his name, I said, Mr. Gigenheimer wanted me to come by. Well, I lied. He didn't know me from Adam. She said, well, hang on for a minute. She got my name. She called back there, and this man came up and said, son, I don't think I've got a meeting with you. I don't even know who you are. And I mean, man, I was a seminary student. I was struggling. Reggie, you, you understand, because Reggie's in school, and Tamara too. And, and I was just struggling. And, and I said, sir, would you give me just a minute? I'll never forget it. I walked back into his office, sat down. He looked at me, and he said, son, he said, I don't know you, but why should I hire you? I said, because I've never worked a job that I couldn't go back to. 
and I promise you this, I'm a Christian, I will never steal from you, and I'll work hard and I'll give you a good day's work. That man looked at me and said, son, you're hired. I went home and Sheila and I, buddy, we talked about ice cream, buddy, we bought the store out. <laughs> We've got furniture to this day we own. But I work, on my third day, I was working nights and going to school in the day. On my third night to go to work, Sheila fixed me a bowl of oatmeal. I sat there and I wept and cried till my tears were gathered on that bowl of oatmeal. I couldn't eat. I, was just, I just sat there and cried. I looked at Sheila. I said, Sheila, I said, I can't do it anymore. I've only, I, only two days. This is my third day, Dwayne, my third day to go to work. I said, I can't do this. Sheila said, why? I said, Sheila, because the man that is my supervisor is the meanest man I've ever seen. He is wicked. He's ungodly, profanity. He cusses me. I said, it is absolutely horrible. I can't do this. Sheila and I sat there. We were poor as dirt. This man, listen, this man had me over a barrel. He could treat me any way that he wanted to. But I bowed my head at that table and I said, God, help me. I cried me. I cried to work that night. I went to work. When I walked out on that dock, largest dock in the state of Louisiana, it was the largest trucking dock at the time, I think in the southeastern part of the country. I walked out on that dock. I kept looking around. I picked up my assignments. I went down to that truck and I started to work and it was quiet. And I, and I finally walked out and there was a guy from Scotland. We called him Scotty. I said, Scotty, I said, uh, where is so-and-so? He laughed. He was standing in the truck and I was unloading it. Crystal, he laughed and he looked at me and he said, they fired him a minute ago. My friend, you hear me. You may work for an ungodly, immoral, unethical boss who may abuse you, may use you. He may even think he's got you over a barrel and can treat you. But you remember this, you are a child of the king. And when God gets ready, God can intervene. And so this is what Paul's saying. And some people say, well, you know, I, I, I just, I, I find it hard to work for this person. It's difficult. You hang in there. You may be the only testimony they have. God has strategically put you where you are right now. Now, there's a principle here. Principle number one, when you submit to the authorities over you and they abuse that authority, God will handle it. Did you hear that? Sometimes you and I are in a system where we feel abused, where we feel taken advantage of. And a lot of times if you're a Christian, that can even be worse. You feel more taken advantage of. And in that environment, you think, well, I don't have no recourse. There's nothing that I can do. I've got to make a living. But this person is abusing their authority. My friend, listen, God will handle it in his time. That's principle number one. Principle number one expanded when you have no recourse because you have no power or no voice, God will take your up your God will take up your cause. Principle number two, when you step in for those who have no voice, then you are blessed. There are times in the workplace to where you are in a position, you may not have a lot of authority, but you have enough authority to affect the system. You see somebody in a position abusing a fellow employee or doing something that is not right, and you think, well, I've just got to keep quiet. I've got to keep my job. No, you don't. If you have to keep your job in order to compromise biblical principles... 
or to compromise the well-being of another. I had a young man look at me with tears in his eyes, removed from a position. And he said there was another man that knew the problem and knew what was right and was a Christian but refused to take a stand and to help me in that crisis. And he said, had the, chair, he said, had the table been turned, he said, I would have never done that to him. You see what Paul is saying here. He's speaking into a wicked system. Were there things wrong? Yes, there were things that were wrong. But you and I need to understand that when we are obedient, when we are seeking to be the best employee, when we have the opportunity, we have to sometimes step up for somebody else, but we have to continue to be obedient to the authorities that are over us. Now, principle number three, when you don't step up for those who have no voice, listen to me. If you step up for people who don't have a voice, if you have to intervene for somebody in your company and they don't have the, they don't have the seniority that you have, they don't have the position that you have, and you have to stand up for that person, look this way, and you stand up because you're doing what is right, God will bless you. But I want you to look this way. If you don't, I believe God will curse you. I believe instead of... I've seen people... Listen to me. Stay with me here. I've seen people that have stood up for me when I couldn't stand up for myself and I've watched God bless them. I've seen people not stand up for me and in no time, you want to know who got fired? The person who was willing to compromise. You see, God will take care of you. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, you and I need to obey our earthly masters with respect and uh, and fear with sincerity of heart. Now, you know, a lot of times this becomes very practical because breadwinners, you, you may be a breadwinner here, and I want young people, I want children to listen to me. Sometimes your mom and dad have to swallow their pride in order to keep their job, and they have to put up with a lot of mess. And sometimes you got spoiled brat kids that don't ever realize that. Sometimes dad and mom are having to survive in a system in which they're having to humble themselves, swallow their pride, and, and come under authority, even when that authority may be abusive to their mom and dad. But they have to do it in order to keep that job. And some children need to be ashamed of how they treat their parents because of that. Paul says here, he says, listen, slaves, servants, obey your earthly man. Employees, obey your boss with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart. That word there, sincerity, comes from the Latin. Sine and and Sarah, it means without wax. Without wax. Sincerity means without wax. What does that mean? In In these days, they made pottery. And a lot of times what they would do with pottery is if they had a flaw or a crack, they would take wax and they would pack the cracks and the flaws and cover them over and gloss them over and paint it so that it would look, it would look to be legitimate, but it would have, it would have cracks and faults. It would, not be, it would not be very good. So when something was made that was good, they would put, they would put those words, sine Sarah, I guess, that sincerity, it meant without wax. What he's saying here is that you and I need to be the kind of employees that we are, we are honest, we are ethical, we, we, we do the right thing. Paul uses a Greek, here, a Greek word here that carries the idea of generous or liberal or free of hypocrisy. What Paul's saying is, listen, you and I in this working world, we are to apply ourselves to our job and give the very best that we have and give it, with, listen to this, and he'll say this in a moment, with all our hearts. 
with everything in us. I wrote this down. Again, some people say, well, my boss will just take advantage of that. And he is taking advantage of that. Number one, God sees and knows your obedience. The Bible tells you and I, even in the workplace, do everything as unto the Lord. Number two, God says, you and I, you just obey me and I'll deal, just as we said a moment ago, I'll deal with your boss. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Number three, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the honest and the right thing to do. If I'm dishonest, unethical, if there's cracks, if there's not sincerity, if I don't wholeheartedly do my job to the best of my ability, then it affects my testimony and my witness in the workplace. So Paul says an attitude of sincerity. He says in verse 6, an attitude of loyalty. He said, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. There's a tendency in all of us to work when who's around? Who? Work when the boss is around. Here comes the boss. Right? Everyone look this way. If you are a child of God, your boss is always around. The Bible says that you and I are to do everything as unto the Lord. Have you ever had a nurse that didn't like her job? I tell you what, I am so sick and tired, almost nauseated by doctors who walk in, sit down, and the first time they've ever even considered who you are is when they're looking at your chart and they're trying to fast read their way through that chart while you're sitting there. I have a real problem with that. I have a real problem in the medical industry when doctors come in and they are asking me what's wrong with me while they're looking at my chart trying to figure out who I even am. Now thank God I got a good doctor, but I've seen a few that are not. You see, this is what Paul's saying, and that doctor's an employee. That lawyer's an employee. You and I are employees, and what Paul is saying here is there's an attitude of loyalty, and what Paul is saying, we do everything with all our hearts. You know, some people are busy, you know, they, you know, your boss walks in, they're playing solitaire, Facebooking, or texting, or doing whatever they're doing, and then the boss comes in, and all of a sudden they look real busy. Let me ask you a question. Do you do the minimum amount required? Do you in, the, in, in your job do what, well, I just do what is required. Let me give you an idea here. Now let me go back and say something good about a doctor. Imagine the cardiologist comes in after his surgery and says, well, I did the double bypass, but you really needed a triple. In fact, you had another artery there. It was probably about 95% blocked the lower descending artery there in the back. It's called the Widowmaker. It looked pretty well like it's going to go any time. But hey, we only said we'd do a double. Do you and I find ourselves doing the minimum? Do you have a waitress that does the minimum? Do you have a preacher that does the minimum? Some of you right now wish that I would run out of notes because you're ready to go. Would you want a surgeon who was operating on your child or your grandchild to approach that surgery the way some of us approach our job? Could you imagine getting on an airplane and the pilot saying, Good afternoon, folks. Thank you for flying Delta Airlines. We will be flying by autopilot because I need to check my Facebook. 
You see what Paul goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, and we'll close in a moment. He says, serve, listen to this, serve. He says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving who? As if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward. Listen to this. There is a promise of God. For you know, and I know, that the Lord will reward everyone for every, look at this, everyone for whatever good he's done, whether he's slave or free. Paul said, listen, do everything wholeheartedly. Listen to what Eugene Peterson translated in the message. He said in in this verses 7 and 8, Servants, respectfully obey your masters, but always with an eye to obeying the master, the real master, Jesus Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, listen to this, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. Work with a, listen to this, and work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, that you are really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you are a slave or free. Real quickly, listen to the principles there. Number one, doing the minimum amount of work is a poor testimony. If you and I do the minimum of what's required, that's a poor testimony. Number two, doing your job only when the boss is around is a poor testimony to fellow employees. Number three, do it with a smile, a positive attitude. Some people say, I can't do it. You don't know what I'm working in. Listen, see Christ as your customer. See Christ as your customer. Imagine Jesus showing up at the table. Imagine Jesus at the workplace. Imagine that you are doing this as unto the Lord. How would you do it differently? Number four, perform a task well, and that will get you good pay and will advance you in a company. And it, for the most part, will. Now, I've got to close. I wrote down here, a man stood before God. His heart was breaking from pain and injustice in the world, he said, Dear God, look at all the suffering, the anguish and the distress in the world. Why don't you send help? God responded, Help? I sent help. I sent you. You see, folks, the bottom line is, and what Paul was saying to you and I is this, as an employee working for an employer, we have a responsibility to do everything as if we were doing it to the Lord. We do it because the Lord is watching us. We do it for His glory, for His honor. We do it because the testimony of Jesus Christ is at stake. No matter what we do, it doesn't matter whether you're a cardiologist, it doesn't matter if you're waiting tables at Cracker Barrel. What Jesus is saying and what Paul was saying here, to all of us do everything as unto the Lord because your testimony weighs in the balance. And he speaks to employers. I don't know if we've got any employers here, but I've already said, again, if you're in a position of authority, a position of leadership, then you have the responsibility and you are required by the principles of Scripture to treat people with the same respect that Christ would treat them. We're living in a world today. You know, I wrote in my notes, it's sad to say, but I wrote in my notes. I want to tell, and I thought to you, don't never, never quit a job until you get a job. I want to say that to young people. I want to say that to some of the young wage earners here. You, listen, you may get, get bad. Uh, let me tell you, I, I'll, I'll just put it blunt. You know what I told my kids? Learn to kiss butt. 
I know that sounds just brutal and brash, but I, I, I taught, I, all four of my kids know those two words, kiss butt. There's times that we have to swallow our pride. There are times that because of the position that we're in, we've got bills to pay. We've got responsibilities as a family. That everything in us wants to walk in and tell the boss off, walk out and quit. You can't do that because you have too many things riding in the balance. You let God handle that. You continue to be a testimony and a witness for Christ. God will handle it in His time. And if you're going to look for another job, don't quit the job you have to find a job. Be a good employee and a good witness and testimony for Christ. Now let's stand and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord, and this message has been a little different. Uh, It's strange to preach on this particular part of the believer's life. And Lord, I, I pray I've just done the best I can. But I pray, dear Lord, for every man and woman and boy and girl in this room, I Pray for young, young people here who are just now beginning to get into the work, into the marketplace, into the workplace. And Lord, they're going to be in an environment that sometimes can be very, very difficult to work in. And Lord, there may be some here that are struggling. They, they're not happy in their job. They don't even like their job. They, they're not happy with their employer. Their boss is, is, um, is just unreasonable. There's no pleasing a boss, and they, they just feel defeated. Lord, would you, would you just encourage them right now to trust you? Would you remind them that, dear Lord, that work situation and that workplace is in the sovereign hand of, a, of you, and Lord, you're watching over them, and at any point you can step in just like you did for me as a young man when I was at the end of my rope with my boss. Father, the the people in this room are not as lucky as I am. I don't work for this church. I work for you. I got the best boss in the world. This morning, dear Lord, I've not tried to please anybody sitting in any one of these pews. I've, I've tried to please you. The only thing I long to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But in some ways, everyone in this room works for you. Because we've all, been, we've all been told that for every time we walk into a patient's room, for every time we work on a vehicle of a man or woman who doesn't understand the dynamics of mechanics, for every time that we uh, send a letter or we write a correspondence and representative of a company, uh, we could slip by and fudge and cheat and barely get by and do the minimum but that's not Christ-like because we're not going to do that if you were waiting on us and if we were waiting on you. So Lord, in some ways, every person in this room works for Jesus just like I do. And that means they'll answer to you. I pray, dear Lord, today that some in this room who are discouraged and feel defeated, that you'd give them a fresh heart for the people that they're working for for that company, for that workplace. They would see it like a mission field, a place to where they can pour their heart and soul and figure out how to do their job even better. Do it wholeheartedly. Do it without, without wax, with sincerity. Father, I pray, dear Lord, that you would uh, grip the hearts of those that may be in this room that are in positions of authority to always be kind and to be gentle. 
to never abuse that authority because one day they'll answer for it. God, I pray to you if there's one here that doesn't know you. I pray that they would come to that decision even now, convicted by your Holy Spirit, to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Live in me. It's a lot easier to be this kind of employee when Jesus is living this life through us. I pray, dear Lord, for those that may need to unite and be a part of this church, that they would come and plant their life here. Whatever decisions to recommit, rededicate, whatever it may be, Lord, draw people here. We pray this in the name of Jesus.